And I'm so excited every time I get to uh, worship under our praise band. That, that really is a time of fill-in for me where I, I hear our voices joining one together and worship God. And so, so cool. Uh, glad you guys are joining us this morning uh, here in person, and then some of you are still online. So glad you guys are here wherever you're at. What do we do? We love God and we love others. Well, what do we say? I love God and I love you. That's right. So we're in the middle of a, a series called Paralyzed, and, and last week we saw Jesus, he was preaching the good news, and in the middle of his sermon, these dudes attempted to, to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Now, it was too crowded, so they couldn't actually get over near Jesus, and so they went on the, the upper room on top of the building, and they tore open the, the tiles of the roof, and they pulled them up, and they lowered their paralyzed friend down to Jesus, and, and this guy comes floating down. Everyone's watching, and Jesus says to this guy, Hey man, I see your faith. He looks at his friends. I see your faith up there. Brother, your sins are forgiven. And uh, given this guy a greater miracle than he came for. He came to get his legs healed, but Jesus says, I give you something even better than that. I'll forgive you from your sins. Give him that greater miracle. And, and, and that, that's the moment we left off last week. And so we're going to pick up in our series as we're looking at in, in Mark chapter 2 about Jesus healing this paralyzed man. I just gave it away. Of course, if you spend any time in church, you know that's the end result here. But he had just forgiven him sin. And here we are in Mark chapter 2. Jesus had just said those words, son, your sins are forgiven. And in Mark chapter 2, it says, now there were some teachers of the law that were sitting there. And they're thinking to themselves. Now the teachers of the law are, are like the pros in the Old Testament. Like they are the, the Bible guardians. Now the Bible at this time, the New Testament wasn't written yet. And so the Bible really was just the Old Testament. And the teachers of the law, sometimes they're translated, if you read different versions, they'll be called scribes. And the teachers of the law are the scribes. They're, they're the guardians of the Bible. They're the ones who are the premier scholars of the day. And they're professionally trained in interpretation and application of the Old Testament. And one of their jobs is to go around, because they have different synagogues, and to hear what people is teaching. If the person is teaching false teaching, to, to let Jerusalem know, and then they send somebody to say, hey, Let's teach it right, this kind of thing. And so they're sitting there, a little bit arms crossed because they're those kind of people. Anyone who's like a cri critic, right? Critics don't come in all happy and excited. Critics always come in a little judgmentally. And so here they are sitting there, and, and they're sitting there thinking to themselves. And the Bible says this is what they were thinking as they were sitting there watching what's happened. Jesus, paralyzed guy, came down, forgives his sin. They were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? I mean, he's blaspheming. Who could forgive sins but God alone? They know their rules. They know their Old Testament. And blasphemy is quite like a, a, a serious accusation, especially in Jewish culture uh, or Jewish law. Blasphemy is a capital offense. Capital meaning they kill you. So you blaspheme God, you could be stoned to death. That's the prescription for someone who speaks against God or to claims to be God or claims to have the powers of God or that sort of thing. And so in, in Jewish Teaching a God and God alone is the one who can forgive sins. Nobody else can do this kind of thing. In Isaiah 43, 25, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and he remembers your sins no more. This is God saying, it's only me that for can forgive sins. And so the teachers of the law instantly and immediately recognize that only God can forgive sins because sins are ultimately against God. Only the person who the sin is against or is aggressed against, can, can forgive the sins. And the teachers of the law also immediately understand that Jesus is going 
way beyond his ability and his right as a normal man. See, they were absolutely correct that Jesus is going way beyond his ability or right as a normal man in that claim to forgive someone's sins. If, if they were right about who Jesus was, then their reasoning actually is flawless. This guy just claimed to forgive sins. That's not allowed. Only God can do that. That's blasphemy against God. In fact, this guy should be killed for this. That's correct reasoning if, if it wasn't in fact true because that, that belongs only in the domain of God. But that's precisely and only why Jesus does it because he is in fact God. It's only blasphemy if it's not true. If I say... Hey, guys, I'm God, totally blasphemy, right? Like, I'm not saying it, so don't, don't get all stony on me. Don't get stoned, I almost said, but that's a separate issue. That's your problem, not mine. Uh, if, I, if, I, if I say that I'm God or I say I can forgive your sins or I say that something like that, I tread on God's ground, then, then that's blasphemy. But, but for Jesus, it's not because it's true. For me, it, it's blasphemy because it's not true. Now, there are people sometimes that, that, that claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. They've never read this passage then. In, in this passage, we can clearly see that, that Jesus is accepting something that only belongs to God. He is treading on the rights that only and, and solely belong to God, and, and that's what he's getting accused for. And he doesn't back down from the accusation. His response isn't, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. My bad, I went too far. His response is, yeah, you're exactly right, and I'll actually double down on it and prove that my statement is true, prove that I am from God by doing something else. He's going to do this in just a second. And I, I can't help but to think that these, the teachers of the law are a little bit like, I can't help but to think they're a little self-smug, and, and so they come there to judge Jesus, right? They heard that he could do miracles, but only God could do miracles, right? And so they show up, and then when this paralyzed guy comes, oh, here's the real test, Right? And then what's he going to do? He's like, oh, yeah, I forgive your sins. And they're like, oh, I knew it. You know, I knew he couldn't actually forgive anybody. I mean, he couldn't actually heal anybody. They're probably thinking in their heart, oh, he's just a sham. You know, there's no way he can, these miraculous things we heard about are true about him. So I can't help but to think that they're sitting there judging at least in terms of like how they're looking at the Old Testament and how they're approaching him. And they're just sitting there crossed arms and saying, yeah, this guy's he's a charlatan. He's full of it. He's claiming to do God stuff, and he can't even do these miracles that everyone said he was all about. Now, here, here's a side note. We're going to side note for just a second. Uh, last week, we, Jesus said that he had forgive this guy, forgiven this guy's sins. And, and I wanted to mention about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins as a side note just really fast. Like, I was thinking about it. How can Jesus say to this paralyzed guy, his sins is for, have been forgiven if Jesus hasn't, in fact, died on the cross yet? So when he, Jesus is saying he is not dead and resurrected, he hasn't yet died on the cross. And so, but here he is claiming to be able to say, hey, your sins are forgiven. But, but at, at church, in the Bible, aren't I taught that it's only through the blood of Jesus that sins are forgiven? That's a, pretty much what we say. That's, a, that's an orthodox statement that is a fundamental of the faith that is one that you would be willing to fight and die for, that it's only through the blood of Jesus that we can enter into heaven, that our sins can be forgiven. Then how can this guy be forgiven since Jesus hadn't shed any blood on the cross yet? Well, Jesus knows that he's going to pay for, for people's sins on the cross. He, he's absolutely certain that this is going to happen. And, and when the moment of the cross finally does come, it's like forgiveness shoots bidirectionally in time. See, when Jesus dies for, for our sins, or when he dies on the cross for the sins of the world, it's not just for the sins of the people who are alive at that time. 
it, it shoots both forward in time, and that's where we would find ourselves, right? We weren't alive when Jesus died on the cross. And it, it shoots backwards in time. So he dies on the cross on behalf of those who were in the Old Testament or prior to Jesus dying on the cross. His death jumps out of, like, if you can imagine, like, time-space. It jumps out of time-space, goes both ways. And so his, his blood actually covers bidirectionally. It doesn't just pay for people in the future or from that point forward. And in fact, when you accept Jesus, sometimes we think like, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and now all my sins that I've done are forgiven. And then you go a week or two, and then you accumulate some more sins, and you're like, well, what am I supposed to do with these now? I just already asked for the forgiveness part. The moment you ask for forgiveness from your sins... Your sins are forgiven from the past ones that you've already done, even the future ones you've already done. Because Jesus, he died before you were born. Your sins were covered even before, your sum total of sins of your life are covered even before you were born. And so when I ask for forgiveness from Jesus, all of my sins are forgiven. The ones I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day and a year from now and 10 years from now and, and all of them to the moment that I die, they're all forgiven. Now, don't panic because some of you like, uh, who are legalists and you're worried about now people are going to sin a lot because they know they're all forgiven. Yeah, that was the problem. Had, they had the problem in the Bible. The Corinthians heard it that way. They're like, oh, all sins? All sins. Sexual sins? Uh-huh. Drug sins? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Drunkenness? Yeah, all forgiven. And they went, whoa! And then Paul had to write them and say, yes, all sins are forgiven, but that doesn't mean it's Mardi Gras. Because all your sins are forgiven, you have a grateful heart to God, and you attempt to follow Jesus well, and he transforms you. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And so there was a little bit of a nuance in it. But it is true that all their sins are forgiven. And the Old Testament folks, all their sins are forgiven. That's where we get to Hebrews chapter 11, and it talks about all these uh, faithful Old Testament people who are saved by the blood of Christ that they haven't yet received. So Abraham, in faith, he believed God's promise, and, and, and Noah and Moses and, and uh, all the folks that are listed in Hebrews 11, they're saved by believing in a future Messiah, that, that God will save them. And we just are, are just different perspective. We believe in a God that has saved us. So theirs is future, ours is past, but it's all the blood of Jesus Christ. And so even as he forgives this guy's sin, it's not just arbitrary. He forgives the guy's sin knowing that the blood of himself, Christ, is going to wash backwards in time and cover over this paralyzed guy if the paralyzed guy is exercising faith. See, it doesn't just cover everybody. You have to actually believe God. Remember, he said they, he saw their faith, and then he turns them and says, son, your sins are forgiven. They got to exercise faith. It's not universal salvation for everyone. Jesus' blood is powerful enough for everyone, but there is a part where we have to act on it, and we have to access that blood and say, yes, I'm going to receive that, that blood in order to get it. That guy did it. This paralyzed guy is doing it right then. Isn't that cool? You're seeing his salvation moment. And maybe you had a different salvation moment some thousand years after this guy. And Abraham had his salvation moment when, when God said, hey, are you going to step out in faith? Are you going to follow me out to this other land? And, and Abraham says, yeah, I'm going to do it, God. I'm going to follow you in faith. And then God said, that's that guy's salvation moment because God knows that the blood is going to go bi-directional in the future. And so that's... Uh, uh, also interestingly about this guy, the other thing I want to say about this salvation is this guy didn't pray uh, the sinner's prayer. He didn't. Uh, it's not recorded. <laughs> he didn't say, dear God, uh, I know that I'm a sinner. I accept you for my Lord and my Savior. Uh, thank you. He didn't pray that one. 
It really does demonstrate to us that the sinner's prayer is not a magic incantation. It's not a, it's not a mantra. It's not a chant. It's not, there's no value in the words. It is not, Ali Kazam, Ali Kababa, Ali, you know, like, whatever, the, what do you do when you rub the lamp? You say something, right? Like, I don't, I don't even know what they say. When you rub the lamp and the magic genie comes out, it's not that. You can't mess up the sinner's prayer. You, you, you can't come along and say, like, oh, did I do it right when I was in junior high because I didn't know all the words and like this kind of stuff. You, you can't. All the sinner's prayer is is a verbalization of what's actually happening inside. And, and I ask people to do it in real life because it helps them be sure. It doesn't help God be sure. God knows the heart. He's not like, well, you missed the third word on the, the prayer, so you're probably not going to get in. It's not that at all. It's not a magic mantra. It's an internal reality confession, and God knows exactly what's going on in your heart when you believe in him and then take an obedient step, a movement towards an acquiesce, an acceptance, however you want to say it, it doesn't matter, where you say, I'm hearing these things, I think they're true, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept them, I'm going to receive them, I'm going to believe them, however it is in t- inside of you. So faith that Jesus is who he says he is and can do what he could say he could do. Anyway, so that's our side note over on that forgiveness part because I was like, well, Jesus forgave him, but he didn't die for sins, and so good times. Back to our passage. Immediately, they were thinking this stuff. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. So Jesus knows the thoughts of his heart. Well, at least the the spirit revealed to him that that that's true. Now, there's some debate about how much God power Jesus utilizes as a human being. And so I'm inclined to lean towards the idea that actually as a human, he wasn't uh, acting uh, with his God powers at all. In fact, when he was a human, he was acting completely human. So his insights, his healings, uh, knowing about the future, knowing about like that person's life or, or the hearts of these people, even though they hadn't said it out loud, those kind of things, I'm inclined to believe that uh, they come from the other two members of the Trinity. So the Father tells them and the Holy Spirit tells them, just like it's saying here, he knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking. And so I sort of tend to, towards that idea that as a regular human, he functioned entirely as a regular human prior to his resurrection. Now, uh, there are other people in Christianity that, that think varying degrees of this. They, well, maybe he accesses his God nest 10% of the time, or 50% of the time, or 80% of the time. And so there is a, a debate among Christians about how much of his God nest is, he's accessing. Now, that is an interesting discussion, uh, and, and uh, I'd love for you guys to have great, exciting debates over it, but it is absolutely not something to divide over how much God nest he's accessing in order to know and, and to do miracles and this kind of stuff. Now, I tend to think that it, it probably all comes from the Father and the Spirit, that power. And that way he can completely be human. So that uh, it's not like, so when he says he can relate to you and I, well, if he can do miracles, he can relate to me that much. You know, like if, if like he's like 80% godding at that time and he's only 20% human, then like, well, not that relatable. I hate to say, Jesus. And so I think the incarnation is so that he can be completely relatable to you, so that, that he absolutely understands what you're going through when you're sad or when you're disappointed, or when you feel picked on, or, or when you can't get over stuff in your past. Or like He knows what that's like as he had functioned fully as a human being without sin. So that part is a little bit different. And so um, I think, back to our scribes here, I think that they, they highlight a significant contrast be- between what we saw last week and what we're seeing this week. If you remember last week, these friends, they came in faith. They started to move towards Jesus. They, they were trusting he was going to do something. 
And he recognized their face. He, he saw their trust. He saw what they were thinking in their hearts. When he sees today's group, what does he see? He sees doubt, skepticism, and rejection. Totally different a way to approach Jesus, both of these different groups, and it's, it's pretty interesting. Then he says to them this. So they're thinking. He's knowing they're thinking. And then he says this. Why are you thinking these things? And he's talking about regarding uh, the ability to forgive sins. He says, why are you thinking these things? Now, that, that would be a startling question. Because if I'm thinking something right now, and then all of a sudden he says, like, why are you thinking this thing? You know, So right now, if I said, you know, Roman, why are you thinking this is a boring sermon? And he's like, oh, my bad. It was, it was, you know, then I didn't call it right. I know he thought it was an awesome sermon so far. You know, I said, Nathan, why are you sleeping? And he said, I'm not sleeping. I'm concentrating, you know. Um, and so, like, to be able to, if, call that, if, I, if someone's able to call out exactly what you're thinking right now, it would probably startle you. I would hope that it would cause these guys to at least have some pause or to be open to like, oh, wait, why does he know what I'm thinking? That's pretty weird. Maybe I should listen. Maybe I should be open to what he's saying. But in fact, they don't. Jesus probes beyond their talk of blasphemy. He says, uh, they're talking, 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 but, but the issue is an issue of their heart. Why are you thinking these things? Why are you doubting despite what you're seeing around you. You're not even open to the possibility of God doing something right now. You're completely closed off to that. Because what they were thinking was untrue. It was unbelieving and it was blind to what was being revealed right in front of their eyes. So Jesus questions them even further. He says, well, you're thinking this. He says, I'll tell you, here's a question for you. What's easier? Is it easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? So he's up in the ante. He says, you think that, I, that, that I'm blaspheming because I can't forgive sins, and you're thinking all these doubts in your heart. He says, what's easier, to forgive someone's sin or tell them to walk? On surface value, this is a really easy question. Obviously, it's easier to say someone's sins are forgiven. See, watch, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. Why? No way to prove it. That's an impossible realm. Like, okay, you can say that all day long, but there's no way to prove it. But if I tell somebody who's been paralyzed their whole life to get up and walk, that's either going to be true or not true, right? I mean, like, did he walk or not walk? If he don't walk, that's not true. And so which is easier to say? On outward glance, it's actually easier if easier means obvious. The crazy thing about reality is it would actually be easier to forgive paralysis than it would to, be for, to forgive sins because sins belong only in the realm of God and so only one, one deity can forgive sins. So that's the only, so that's, that's really hard. But another twist is actually funny that neither is easier for Jesus. It's just as easy to forgive sins and heal a paralyzed guy. None of them are any sweat off his brow. They are equally easy. And neither is easier for regular people. Both of them are impossible. Regular people can't heal someone from paralysis, but regular people can't forgive someone's sin. So the answer is actually neither of these things are easier for Jesus because they're equally easier, and neither are easy for people because they're equally impossible. And then he says to them, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. This is that like, 
boom dynamite moment, right? Like, this is what it was building up to. Paralyzed people forgive sins, haters hating. He says, I'm going to tell you something. I want you to know. Well, who's the you? I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. The guy, he doesn't need to know that. He already believes it, the paralyzed guy. His friends believe it. Other folks in the house believe it. Who's he talking to? He's talking to those people who don't yet believe it. He's talking to the scribes. He's still trying to convince the scribes, hey, scribes, the all folk, these folk, they already believe even though they haven't seen a miracle yet. They all believe, but you don't. And so in order that you could see that the Son of Man has the power I'm going to do this miracle right about here. He calls himself the, the Son of Man. This is a, a designation that he uses most often of himself. And it comes from Daniel 7. Daniel 7 says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so this is the most often used title Jesus gives of himself. Uh, he could have used something like Messiah, which may, this is very similar to Messiah because the Son of Man is like the one who will reign forever and ever. But he doesn't use Messiah or Christ or Savior because the Jewish folks, every time they hear Messiah, they think political salvation. And so in this situation, the Romans are oppressing them really bad. If he had used Christ and Messiah often, they'd, they'd certainly think, that, that he was going to overthrow the Roman government. It was a politically loaded title, and so he just avoids that one and most often refers to himself as the Son of Man. And so we see Jesus, he actually had not blasphemed as the teachers had accused him of because he does have the power to heal somebody. Now, at this point, it would seem from the teacher's perspective and so the, this guy, he says, get up, take your mat, and walk. The guy gets up, and he's going to take his mat, and he's going to walk. And from the scribe's perspective, it would seem that this would be sort of indisputable evidence. It's something that, like, look, you said I couldn't do this thing. In order to say that I can, I'm going to demonstrate it by doing this thing that's a little obviously harder, at least in the obvious realm. And then after that, you're going to believe, right? And so it seems that it would be indisputable if the teachers are allowed to reject the truth at this point. Yet they do. They're going to reject Jesus based on an a priori or a previously held belief about Jesus. They came in not believing. And you know what? They're going to go out not believing. And it doesn't much matter what happens in the midterm. It doesn't matter what happens in the reality that they see right before them. And what's crazy is here, after this interaction, those who are already doubting in their minds and opposed to the truth, they will remain opposed to the truth. Even though they saw a miracle, this dude's going to get up. He's going to walk out. And he's been paralyzed his whole life. He sees a miracle. I have a friend of mine uh, who used to go to our old church, and then he went to jail. He went to jail for murdering somebody. He got a life sentence, and I went and visited him fairly often. I, I was one time visiting him in, in jail. This was before he was transferred to prison. I went to Men's Central in L.A., uh, before he was transferred to his state prison facility where he's been in the rest of his life. Now, Men's Central is a pretty scary place. Uh, I act tough occasionally, and I am not. That place is mm -mm, scary if you've ever been there. I hope you've never been there. They are real metal bars, and they really go boom, boom, and you go through these metal bars, and the guards look at you angrily. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I, I have the pastor card to go in. That's why I can go in. 
And I'm like, no, pastor, pastor, hi, guys. Hi, bless you, bless you. And they scowl, the guards scowl. They make you put all your possessions. You go through this first gate, and then, boom, slams behind you. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, I'm going to die. You know, I'm so scared. I can't act scared because I got God with me, right? And then there's because you're so one bar behind these other bars, and then the next gate opens. That, they're thick bars, like boom, and then go through the next thing. Boom, behind you, like, oh, it's like, Orange County is not like that. Orange County Jail has like these sliding glass. It's like really nice, and it's like modern, but, but it's like rusty and like what I imagine, like the worst thing. That's like LA County because that's how LA rolls, you know? And so I get in there, and then. You know, you, you get to the spot, and they, they give you a spot where they come, and they handcuff the guy uh, to you, uh, to the, the table or whatever. Not to you. You're on the other side of the, this barrier. Now that the barriers are much more. So the, back, back when I was visiting, it was a little bit less. You could sort of see them, or you could get an attorney room where you could pass things back and forth. But um, So go, with, go in there, and they come in, and, and every inmate's like, oh, I'm going to kill you. Everyone's looking that way, and I'm like, hi, bless you, bless you too, bless you all, you know, and uh, my friend comes walking in and sits down. He's looking like crazy, right, and then as soon as, like, he sits down, it's sort of private. He's like, hey, Sam, how you doing? So good to see you, you know, how's everybody, you know, and it's so interesting because they have to act totally tough. The guards have to act tough. The inmates have to act tough, and the pastor's like, hey, hey, don't kill me, anybody, you know, so I'm getting there, and I'm we talking, and of course, I only go to there to talk about God. It's a captive audience, and he wants to have visitors, so he's not going to get out early. So as long as he can stay, he gets the whole time with me because he wants to get out of his cell anyway. And so we're talking, and he had been to church with us for a while. And, you know, every time I go down there, I'm talking. This time, one time, I'm talking about Jesus and God and telling him how much, like, man, you know, brother, you really need to come to the Lord. Like, he can save you even in this place, and your life is not wasted, even though uh, your, your life outside is sort of wasted. But but you still have value, purpose, and meaning. And I was sort of talking about him, that, that uh, all this Jesus stuff. And he says, well, you know, Pastor Sam, you know, uh, I, I want to believe that kind of stuff. I really do. I want to believe in Jesus. He says, I'll tell you what. He says, I'll tell you what. If, if, uh, if, if Jesus shows up in my cell, then I'll believe. Or, or if Jesus does a miracle, like right in front of me, he says, I'll believe. And I said, Really? Because the miracle of forgiveness of your sins is available right now. And he just smiled at me like, mm, yeah, right. And I told him what I'm going to tell you guys right now. Because there's some of you that may be sitting there the same thing. Like, I'll really believe, believe if I see a miracle. And I kind of, I'm not, you know, the Jews think it's okay. But, but I'd really believe if I saw a miracle. And that's what, that's what my friend was saying in, in prison. That's what these Pharisees or saying, if we really saw a miracle, then we would believe, believe. You know what I told him? I said, I doubt it. I said, friend, I doubt it. You could see a miracle in your cell, and you know what you'll do? You'll justify it by hallucinations. But you've been in solitary too long. Uh, you had some bad pruno, jail wine. <laughs> you, they make it in the toilet with all sorts of stuff. He said, you, you won't. Even if you see a miracle, even if Jesus comes in your cell, you won't because you're already opposed to it. Because you already don't think it's real. It doesn't matter if Jesus did a miracle in front of and, and that's why exponentially I think he wouldn't. Of course he's not going to waste a miracle on you if you're not going to believe anyway. Not that he has a limited amount of miracles, but, but you know what I'm saying. He's not going to come and... Well, prove yourself to me, and you do it, and like, I still don't believe. <laughs> That's not how God works. He's not, he's not your genie. 
He's not your puppet to dance around on strings for you. And so I told him, probably not. And I think that's probably pretty true. I think it's true for everyone who's sitting here or maybe listening online that says, like, I'd believe if I saw a miracle. I doubt it. Because you'll figure out some way to rationalize why that wasn't really a miracle. Well, of course, well, salvation of people is not a miracle. Duh. Why is that not a miracle? How many people have to have their lives radically altered before you start to see the miraculous in the altering of lives when people come to the Lord Jesus Christ? You're not actually open. Otherwise, you'd see miracles of God all over the place all of the time. Many of us aren't all in because we haven't seen a miracle, but you don't need to see a miracle to believe, and seeing a miracle won't necessarily even help your belief. It didn't for many people in Jesus' day. When Jesus was physically there in front of them, in person, incarnate, doing miracles and teaching God's teaching, the folks that came in already disbelieving, they tended to walk out disbelieving. In fact, these guys are going to start to say, let's kill him. <laughs> what the heck? Like, that's a, not the right reaction to seeing a miracle and someone forgiven from their sins. But it didn't matter. Like he did this miracle of healing the paralyzed man to confirm the validity of his declaration of forgiveness. And, and this is one of the things that really helps me. Sometimes I look in history and say, the unseen things like uh, heaven and that sort of stuff. Like Jesus demonstrated by seeing things that those unseen realities are true as well. Jesus tells them before it actually happens that he's going to heal this guy. And then he commands the guy to get up, take your mat, and go home. But the guy has an option. He could stay right where he was. He could, like these scribes, reject Jesus. He could reject the command and the gift of Jesus. It took an act of obedience on the man's part. Uh, it took an act of faith. Now, maybe it wasn't a big one, right? He's like sitting there and like wiggled his toes maybe first. And he's like, okay, let's go. It doesn't seem like that big of an act of faith, but he had to have an, a movement or an action or a change of attitude or, or, or he had to act upon the command of Jesus. When Jesus says, get up and walk, he didn't have to. He could have just laid there and said, oh, but I'm paralyzed. I didn't believe it. And then it wouldn't have been a reality for him. He had to act on his belief, act on the commands of Jesus in order to receive the benefit of that command of Jesus. So here's our single pause point for today. This is it. We, too, have to act on the commands of God to receive the blessings promised by God. Here it is again. Listen very carefully. We, too, have to act on the commands of God to receive the promised blessings of God. It isn't enough to simply mentally assent. So let's say we're thinking about God, and people say, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I believe in God. Well, Jesus' brother, James, he wrote this about that thought. He says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even demons believe that, and at least they're scared by it. You believe it, and you're not even scared by it. The believing that God exists or that there is a God isn't enough. It takes something more. See, God offers salvation by faith in Jesus, and we have to not only think that it's true, yeah, that's probably true, but there has to be a movement or a response in us. And I said earlier that could be like I accept or I receive. I mean, that's just a little movement, right? It's not a huge one. He didn't say go be a missionary or something. 
He says, it's just a little response. So God says, here's this promise of salvation, but you've got to act on it. You can't simply hear it and think, oh, that's probably true. That's cool or whatever. You've got to say, no, I'm going I'm to actively grab towards that. I'm going to reach for that, I'm, however that happens internally for you. You got to do that. And maybe it doesn't have to be a big action, just like the guy getting up. Like, I mean, he's probably excited to try it. So he jumps up. Believing must be accompanied by obedience to receive the blessing that God is promising in that command. So, for example, in the Bible, the Bible, offer, uh, the Bible tells us that, that God offers you peace in replace for your worries. Right? But it says there's, there's something that you have to do in order to do that. He says, you know, uh, uh, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, make your request known to God, and the peace of God will, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so if I want to take that promise of peace for my worries, I've got to pray. I've got to, I've got to respond. So God says, hey, I've got this promise. I've got this blessing. I've got this thing waiting for you. You don't want it? You can take it or not. And when I pray that, so maybe you got some worries and you need some peace. It doesn't just come magic, and there's not a magic phrase to say, you think you rub the lamp. But the Bible does say if you come to God with your worries, he will replace them with, like, he can't even tell people why, why you're at peace now in the middle of all this worry. It'll be inexplicable peace. But see, there's a movement. God's prepared the promise for you. He's prepared the, the blessing for you, but you've got to move towards that thing. God offers power through the Spirit to live fruitful lives if we remain in Him. So there's a part that we have. So God says, I got this blessing. I got this promise. You want a fruitful life? You want an amazing life? It is available right now. If you remain in me, John 15. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from, me, you can, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, the Spirit will bring about fruit in your life but you've got to remain in him. There's a movement that has to happen inside of you. For every offer from God, there is an option for you to obey and follow or to ignore and reject. So what's God been speaking to you? Maybe not just today, but maybe in your life. Where's an area that God has been asking you to step out in faith for? So God says, like, I want you to step out in faith. I want you to do this thing. And you're like, oh, no, but I have this doubt and this other doubt and this other doubt. He says, well, God said, I want you to do that. In order to receive the blessing that he has prepared for you, you're going to have to say, okay, I'm going to step out in faith and do the thing that you're asking, even though I can't yet see the result of the end. What have the scriptures been pointing out in your life that need a response from you? Maybe you've been reading them, reading them, reading them, and the Spirit's been saying like, hey, that pornography access that you keep uh, accidentally clicking on, that's got to go. Like, oh, you know. The Spirit's been saying, you've got you to tell someone about that. And you've got to get accountability. You've got to get someone to help you do those Christian, like, track my iPad or whatever. And God's been working that in you. And you're like, oh, it's so embarrassing and awkward. So I got this promise for you if you'll live rightly. And it takes an act of obedience on our part. God has blessings and favor and, and all sorts of good stuff planned, but we've got we've to respond to him. You can't just sit there and hope like everything works out perfect as you sit paralyzed. You've got to get up and move. 
You got to get out. What command or promise from God is waiting for your movement, for you to step out in faith and to take hold of? And I can't say it for you because it's each different for each of us. Just like that paralyzed guy, like I'm not paralyzed. I, I'm not living that life. When Jesus tells him to take his mat and get up and walk, he's got to obey. And when Jesus tells me to do something, I got to obey if I want to walk in the blessings of that promise that he's given. And same as with you, whatever situation you're facing. I don't know whether, whether God's telling you to start a new business maybe. Maybe he's quit your old business. Maybe he's telling you to adopt kids and you're like, oh, adopt kids, like that's the worst. Maybe he's telling you like, I don't know what he's telling you to do. Well, adopt kids is great, I mean. I adopted a couple of kids. But, you know, in, my, in our hearts sometimes we're like, oh, that's too hard. Maybe he's saying, give away 50% of your income. You're like, that's dumb. People don't give away 50%. Yeah, they do. Why is that dumb? If God tells you, I'm not telling you, I don't care about your income. If God tells you to do that, like, oh, that's ridiculous. God's sometimes ridiculous. The guy, God says, your sins are forgiven, get up off your mat. Oh, that's ridiculous. I've been paralyzed my whole life. That's lame, you can't even do that. Uh, no, you're lame, literally. Like, get up off your mat and walk. It's, oh. But if he doesn't respond, he just sits there. And same is with us. And so we see in our narrative today that there's this incredible blessing flowed from the obedience of those friends. We saw it last week, right? Those friends had faith and there was this blessing of forgiveness. And then we see it in this guy. He's going to have some faith and then he's going to get healed from his paralysis. Like what a great day that must have been. These guys showed up. I don't know, they, they were hoping it's going to happen. I don't know. Maybe they, they were worried it wasn't going to happen and they, they do all this kind of stuff and their friend gets healed. Like, that's what they were hoping to happen. And they, they, he was forgiven. And Jesus saw their faith. And when he's saying, your, your, your sins are forgiven, I think he's talking to that guy. But I was like talking to the guys who had faith. He said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins. He's like, Oprah, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. If you come to me. The man was both healed from his paralysis and forgiven from his sins. What a great day. Yeah, we're not finished in this parable. I mean, this uh, narrative, I'm sorry, it's not a parable, it's real life. We're not finished with this narrative. In fact, uh, we'll be finishing up next week as we continue on our last week of Paralyzed. So would you just rise together with me right now? We're going to worship. We're going to let a joyful song come from our hearts. And I'd like it to rise up. We don't get a time to corporate worship except when we come to church. And so let us let our praise rise up to God as an offering the living God, our Father, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit. So let's worship together. You are here. Ooh. 